0: Well, I believe we're live now. So, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the uh, eighth, I think it is, episode of Prodigious Kentuckians. And as always, we live stream here, but you can also find us on pretty much any well-known podcast site out there. I'm your host, and this is Julie Martinez, and we're gl- we're very happy that she's back and feeling better. Are you? Uh, how are you, Julie?
1: Well, I have a voice again, which is a tremendous improvement over the last few weeks. I Had my tonsils out and lost. Um a few weeks of my life, along with the tonsils. So very happy to be back and have a voice so that we can talk about Kentucky politics tonight.
0: Well, we're very glad to have you back. So yes, tonight's show is on politics. We're going to talk about local and national politics, and we have very two very knowledgeable guests with us tonight, Trey and Stephanie, from their new from their podcast, Kentucky Politics Weekly, which I listen to quite often. and, um, I don't really like to introduce people, I like for them to do it themselves. So I thought we'd start off just uh, just giving them a minute or two each to introduce themselves. So uh, Stephanie, we'll start with you.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having us on. Um, so uh, Stephanie Seitzer-Holscher uh, was a Courier-Journal State House reporter for several years, uh, briefed in at Keeneland, was Adam Edeland's, um policy and communications director as uh, when he was state auditor. Um, and now I've gone on to um, do my own um, communications and policy consulting for um, issues related to sexual violence and criminal justice reform.
0: All right, great. Well, we're happy to have you here, and uh, as we mentioned earlier, Adam's been on the show before talking about solar, so we had a a, a very good show that night several weeks ago, so uh, thanks for being here. Trey, we'll go with you next.
3: Yeah, Trey Watson. Uh, I uh, started my own PR firm about a year and a half, a but two years ago. Uh, Capital Reigns PR, doing uh, public affairs and political consulting. Uh, before that, I was, spent three years as the spokesman for the Republican Party of Kentucky. Uh, ran Ryan Quarles' Ag Commissioner race in 2015 when he first got elected. Uh, used to work with Scott Jennings and the bunch over at Run Switch PR and Paradis, uh, PR before that. And uh, generally uh, all-around political hack, uh, doing – Campaign management, opposition research, field management, you name it. I've done it on a campaign, so i been, been all over the state.
0: Well, we're glad to have you here, too. Uh, this is the first episode we've done on politics specifically, even though Julie and I are very much involved. That's <laughs> one of my favorite subjects. And by listening, by a side note, by listening to the podcast, I know that you're a, a fan of, of trivia. So maybe we'll throw something in here and there. Uh, so we'll just jump right into it. Uh, y- usually the show lasts somewhere around uh, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how how things are going. So uh, I'll just jump right in. So uh, as you all know, uh, Biden was inaugurated about a week ago, which is crazy to me. It seems like it was a long, long time ago. There's been a lot that's happened since then, as we that's all like know. It's th- like
3: 30 executive orders ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had a, a 50-50 split with uh, Vice President Harris being a tiebreaker in that scenario, and one of the early things that happened in the new Senate was impeachment due to the insurrection at the Capitol. And uh, and, and I know you've both been outspoken about that after listening to your podcast. Then we had Rand Paul, uh, who objected to the constitutionality of it. And uh, with, the I think the number was 45 Republicans voting with Paul yeah. and 55 Republicans voting with the Democrats. Uh, the Republicans uh, f- were- Five
3: Republicans voting with the, with the five Democrats. Five Republicans, yeah.
0: uh, Romney, Collins, Murkowski, you know- uh, Sassy. Pat, who was uh, the fifth one? Uh, Toomey. Pat Toomey. Toomey. Okay, Pat Toomey, yeah. So, Trey, I'll go to you uh, for this question. Generally speaking, how do you think this impeachment is going to go uh, as far as vote? Do you think it'll be like a 55, 45 things? Do you think that's indicative of how they'll vote, and where do you see us going from here? I
3: think that they're I, – I don't think they'll get to the 17th they need to convict. Uh, I do think that you'll end up with probably a couple more – uh voting to conv- the, the convict then you got on that one because I do think there were legitimate questions over whether or not you can impeach somebody who's not in office anymore. Uh, that you know there was some con. And I think there's there's people on both sides of the aisle that have questions constitutionally if, if that's something that's that's possible. Uh, but you know I, I think that you're going to see an actual trial this time as opposed to last time, I, and I think that you're it's going to be used as a way to get out information that's been uncovered that we probably you know we probably haven't heard yet uh, all, all of it. Uh, it'll, it'll be a way to get some of that information as to what really occurred on the sixth uh, out to the public. Uh, I think you'll probably see a couple of people uh, who voted against or voted for Rand's resolution um, voting to, to convict. I, I think it'll probably end up somewhere in the six to 10 range if I had, if I had to bet. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do think that you, you, you would have more, I, I just read Murkowski, or not Murkowski Collins and, Oh, I'm trying to remember the Democrat. The Collins and, and, and a Democrat are, are putting together a censure resolution. Oh, it's Collins and Tim Kaine putting together a censure resolution that would basically invoke uh, part of the 14th Amendment that would say that Trump can't uh, run for office again. I, it's even the, Even they don't know if it's constitutional, if it'll hold up constitutionally. Uh, but you might see something like that come out where it's a censure that says he, he gave comfort to to insurrectionists and, and therefore he can't hold office. Again, I don't know if it would hold up in court, but at least it's something they could do. And I, and I bet they could get the 17 votes. Well, they wouldn't need 17 because it's a censure, um, but they could get the votes to do that one. So I, I think you'll see something pass, what it is. It won't be conviction, uh, what it looks like. Uh, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I, I'm curious to see what how mcconnell behaves during this whole thing uh stephanie do you have any comments or anything to add to that
2: i mean i i guess sometimes the former journalist in me comes out i am curious trey because we haven't talked about this in a while um how how did this kind of lose steam you know it feels like a few weeks ago uh you know it seemed like mcconnell was backing it and if he was backing it we were going to get there um is it just republicans want to just Sweep it under the rug, move Hell,
3: on. Dem- Democrats want it gone. <laughs> I was reading an article on Punchbowl tonight. The you know, Democrats want to get rid of it because it's I- – I think he's out of office. I think there was a lot of – there was a head of steam as far as wanting to get – I do think that there is people like McConnell uh, want to you know, put as much division between him and the rest of the party as, as they can because he's he's not not going to be helpful for us in 2022 and moving forward and kind of trying to put the party back together. Uh But I, I do also think, you know, at the end of the day, Republicans are Republicans and uh, even we'll, we'll cut off our nose to spite our face when it comes to respecting the Constitution and, you know, bringing in questions of, of uh, legal appropriateness. And I, I think that's going to be the big sticking point is he's not in office anymore. You know, what can we do to him? And the constitutional scholars are, are split on that.
0: You know, I've kind of enjoyed the, the relative quietness. Lately, and maybe it's just me—I I haven't been paying as much attention—but uh, it seems like the news conferences aren't like you know out there in your faces. So, I think- oh, you know, they're
3: asking—they're asking like, what's Biden's favorite Disney princess, and you know, <laughs> does he does he like salted or, or butter on his popcorn? Yeah, you know, it's it's the, the media is really hitting them with the hard hard hitting questions. Uh, we've
2: we've already experienced you know Peloton Gate and Rolex Gate, and <laughs> so I'm very eager for the next scandal.
0: Yeah, Biden administration. Bad, <laughs> bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. So with that, I will. I, I'll I'll move on. And Julie, do you did you have a question here, or did you want me to ask the my next no, one first?
3: I
1: go ahead and ask your next one first, and then I'll jump in after that.
0: Okay. So, uh, so this is this is a question about about just in generally speaking about Democrats and Republicans. So Democrats and Republicans at the national level. And how that affects politics at the Kentucky level. So some people would say that national Democrats have gone too far left for Kentucky. Some people would say that that national Republicans have gone too far right. Uh, I don't know necessarily for Kentucky, but just just in general. And I have some. I, I just read a, an article recently that had lots and lots of very interesting charts on what a what a Trump Republican actually is. You know what. <laughs> what type of characteristics do they have? Are they true Republicans? Are they you know, really far right? Are they older? Uh, I, I won't get into that right now. But I'm curious as to what your your guys' thoughts are on um, how Democrats and Republicans have moved a certain direction, what that means for uh, the future of Democrats and Republicans in the state of Kentucky. Well,
3: I think traditionally, I heard Governor Norquist uh, put this – in a great manner when I said a thing in, Le- in Lexington one time. Um, and he said, you know, traditionally the Republican coalition is the stay the hell away from me coalition. It's a, it's a group of people who, who don't want stuff. <laughs> yeah, just we want you to leave me alone so I can practice my religion or have my guns or run my business, whatever it is. It, it the, What bound us together as a party was, was just, we don't want government you know, involved in whatever it is, is our, is our thing. We don't, don't want the government around it. Now I think, in a state like Kentucky, uh, and it, this isn't true for for every state, but it's true for for a lot of the states, especially the more r- rural ones and, and a lot of southern ones, uh, the Democratic Party, as it moves further left nationally, the Republican Party almost morphs into what, what binds us together is the we're not Democrats. Uh, you know, it's 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 more more about who, who we're not than who we are. And I, I don't you know I have concerns about how the, the long term effects on that is is as a party, because I don't, it's not a really healthy way to, to grow a party. It's not healthy for, for the body politics nationally when your entire party is based around not being somebody else. And I think that's true for the Democrats in a lot of states too. A lot, a lot of hardcore blue states, you have Republicans who get fed up with Trump and, and they go to the Democrats and they don't share the values of the Democratic Party. They just didn't like, didn't like the other guy. <laughs> so, you know, I think in Kentucky, you see that effect pushing people to the Republican Party In other states, I think you see it pushing people to the Democrat Party.
0: Yeah, I read an interesting article. We were talking, chatting about this earlier, but I read an interesting article. I don't have the citation in front of me right now, but about ha- how um, different states are going in different directions. And I'm really curious as to, you know, exactly why that is. Um, so uh, with that, I'll, I'll pass it over to Julie. Uh- <laughs>
1: Lots of interesting things here, and and thanks for those good questions you were asking, and, and for you all's good answers as well. Um, you know, so much interesting is going on at, at the national level, but I think here in Kentucky we also have such interesting politics that are happening with the supermajority in our state legislature, within a Democratic governor. Um, and I'm curious to know from from both of you all, from your 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 two different perspectives um, on the parties. You know what what does the republican party and what does the democratic party have to offer to Kentuckians so a little bit of background on on from me asking that question and you know I'm, I'm from Kentucky but then I lived on the west coast for a while um in my life I've been registered as a republican and independent and a democrat I'm obviously a democrat now um but you know I I tend to see my registration um focus on alignment with my own values and where I feel like my values are expressed the best. Um, And that may not be true. Like what you were just saying, Trey, I think was really interesting of, you know, are we just reacting to each other of like, I'm a Democrat because I'm not a Republican or I'm a Republican because I'm not gonna be a Democrat, um, which is not a healthy way, right? I think we could all agree (laughs) that's not healthy. Um, So what do you all see for your perspective here in Kentucky? I think we have a hard time sometimes separating ourselves from national politics what you know the republicans have a super majority right now in our legislature what do they have to offer to us and conversely you know if we were able to get more democrats into office what do they have to offer us as kentuckians i'm curious what your perspectives are on that
3: well i think there's there's two things at play there i think first of all the pro- the problem is one of the problems that's, i think is infesting politics is everything has become national you know, you used to there was a reason that Democrats were able to hold on to the super or to the majority in the House longer than in a lot of other states is is the national took a longer time to permeate down to, to the local here. Uh, but you can't I don't think you can separate the national politics from the state at this point. It it's 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 worked its way down to to every to every level. And when people go in to vote, the the party identity has almost overtaken it, you know. Uh, used to you had this cadre Democrats that you knew whenever Hubie Collins uh, died or retired, we were going to take that seat. Uh, But, you know, Hubie was hard to beat for years. And, you know, then the Trump wave came and we were able to take out people like like Hubie Collins and you know even Greg Stumbo. And that a lot of that was based on national politics. Uh, You know, so it's it's hard. It's hard to. I mean, I, I can tell you what I believe Republicans have to offer on an issue base, but you know what's what's caused it, what, what's driven it, what's got us here is is, is national politics. It's it's not about issue, and it's it's about it's about i political identity at a national level.
1: But I am curious to know what do you personally think that Republicans have to offer to Kentuckians? What keeps you a Republican? And same, Stephanie, when you
3: F- into- F- fiscal issues, I think you know I'm I'm a Republican because I'm a small government fiscal conservative, and this state uh, taxes the wrong the wrong things the wrong ways, and uh, it's been you know how many blue ribbon panels of Democrat governor's commission on tax reform and every one of them has said we need to move more towards the consumption based tax. We need to uh you know change this tax here and this tax there. And d- it's they were all pretty much issues that Democrats didn't want to deal with. So it got put in a drawer. Uh you you've you've still got a bunch of rural legislators who also Republican and Democrat don't want to touch some of those issues so the tax reform isn't really moving at the pace that it should be but you know I'm a Republican because of uh, I, I believe that it best represents my view of a, of a strict constructionist version of the vision of the Constitution and I'm a, a fiscal conservative uh, and believe in, in smaller government and uh, and, and letting people uh, you know run, run their lives so know, uh, that's, that's, that's what I'm here for <laughs> and it's the party has moved towards a more populist viewpoint, uh, but you know, I'm gonna do everything I can to help pull it back to, to, to where, the, where the Republicans traditionally had been.
1: What about you, Stephanie?
2: Are you, okay, interesting question. So are you asking um, what I think the progressive ideology has to offer Kentuckians or what um, sitting Democrats in Kentucky have to offer uh, Kentuckians?
1: I think I'm, I'm, and, and and you can choose, of course, to answer it either <laughs> way that you'd like to. Um, I think I'm interested in hearing more about your perspective of the party, the Democratic Party itself in Kentucky, um, and and what it has to offer to Kentuckians. Um, the
2: apparatus or the <laughs> ideology, because that that first one is very <laughs> fraught with
1: <laughs> it's problematic. <laughs> yeah. I, I will be the first one. There,
3: on the- there is a Democrat apparatus. <laughs> That's enough. and
1: and I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not trying to be
2: like you know cute here. I'm. I. It's. It's. It's a very relevant question. I feel like, and it has a completely different set of answers if you're asking about what are you know what I feel like progressive ideology has to offer. I. I'm. I believe in government. I believe that government can help. I believe in community. I mean, one thing that I talk a lot about with my um, extreme, extreme conservative Texas um, Republican in-laws is this concept that we've gone way too far into this rugged individualism and away from community and what we can accomplish together. And, um, you know, to me, it's things like, Solving problems, it's, it's a willingness to pay taxes and say, we can, we can all be better off, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? We can fix things. If we have a significant tax base, we can fix things like, you know, the, the Martin County water um, problem. I mean, you know, when I was a reporter at the Career Journal, and I know it's really not that different, aside from Martin County, there's still a lot of places in rural Kentucky that don't have reliable, basic infrastructure. And yes, Trey, we can have conversations about the fact that the state was controlled by Democrats for years and years, and why didn't that that get fixed? And those are valid questions. And that's why I kind of asked progressive ideology versus elected uh, uh, officials, but you know, it's my belief that you know if we're all in this um, together—not to take a phrase from Andy Bashir, but um, you know we can kind of work together in this. If this work we are, uh, you know, we're paying taxes and we all benefit from this. This notion that we lift ourselves up by our bootstraps all on our own when we have clean water and clean roads and you know and and trade jokes about. Me, you know, living in an undisclosed location for the last several months. I'm, you know, in a Caribbean island. And it's been an interesting experience to see here, you know, the the issues here versus what we have back home and what we can do with the en- enormous amount of money, even a poor state like Kentucky has, uh, and our willingness to, to tap into um, those resources and um, cut off the Insane um, colander sieve of, you know, tax loopholes and tax credits to, you know, industries and corporations that don't really need them. Um, so that's kind of my view on where I think the progressive ideology can can help Kentuckians.
3: Well, but you know, I'll I'll just kind of somewhat <laughs> bizarrely echo Stephanie's point. You know, as as <laughs> as as a as a, as a conservative. You know, no conservatives should ever say, well, we don't believe in taxes or, or we believe in government. Government has a role. My problem becomes we spend money in the wrong places and we don't tax the right ways. Like I said before, we we tax the wrong things the wrong way. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, I'm one of the only living Kentuckians, I think, who has listened to all like four or five hours of the 1980 committee hearings when they passed the gas tax. I had to listen to him because Bruce Lunsford was the Commerce uh, Secretary the state at the time and he was kind of shepherding that bill through and i'd listen to him back when he was he's was running against mcconnell in 2008 so i had to go to lrc dust off the tapes make copies of them and bring them home and sit in my living room and listen to literally four or five hours of committee hearings and they were like doing a happy dance because they never they were never gonna have to raise gas taxes again the problem is that entire formula is based on assuming cars get 10 miles to the gallon it doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And one of the only, one of the only legitimate roles of government is to provide infrastructure. You know, infrastructure, education, national defense, things like that. Those are legitimate roles for government. And when government, when when the ideology takes over to where you 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 won't let yourself you become so rigid you you forget what the actual role of government is you know there's a lot of stuff we spend money on we don't need to this is one that we do and we don't tax right because the cars are getting 40 50 miles to the gallon and this entire formula assumes cars are getting 10 10 miles to the gallon yeah you know, that's something where uh the state just because and and democrats don't want to touch it either <laughs> you know it's 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 not it's not just one party nobody wants to touch that thing but it's gonna have to be fixed and you know i think that it's It's going to have something like that. It's going to have to. It's like when Clinton worked with Gingrich to reform welfare. You know, you had when Nixon got detente with China. You have to get somebody from your own side to come and be the one to lead the charge on it. Republicans are going to have to lead the charge on on on. uh, I, I always say it's not raising the gas tax. It's modernizing the road funding formula. Republicans are going to have to lead the charge on that one if it's going to get done.
1: But that's not what they started with. Right. And and, so, and I'll pass back over to you, Trent, in just a second. But
3: well, you know, I well, would... but you, you're, you're, if you're going to talk about tax reform, those are two different buckets because the road. Remember, the road fund is the only legal lockbox in the state. Uh, that that if you're t- you're talking about the tax reform package they passed in seventeen or eighteen, whatever that was, uh, that's kind of a different. They, they do need they need to keep working on that process as well but the road funding formula is kind of its own thing because it's not we're not talking general fund money it's the only thing that goes into the road the road fund it's, it's kind of its own standalone beast there but and I do think that's one thing where Republicans can and should, should take a leadership role on it because it is something that that a conservative should view as a legitimate role for government
1: and uh, in, in, frankly I would embrace them wanting to champion some of those things. Um, what I think is interesting is, and I think this is true in Kentucky and nationally, and Trey, earlier you made the very valid point that it's hard to even divide those anymore, right? Um, but the, the reality is, is that those are not the issues that lead, right? When our legislature came in in jan- January, that's what, not what was top of mind for them. They did not introduce bills at the top of the session that were f- focused on tax reform or budgeting or any of the things that I think all of us could actually probably get on the same page. Yeah, well,
3: th- Those are hard to do in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> even, even Andy Bashir, who's for, who's for modernizing the road funding formula, has said we can't do it now.
1: I wouldn't get stuck on that one in particular. Yeah. I'll just make the, the more general point of, um, you know, we have allowed as a country and a state political rhetoric to become something that is so utterly divisive because honestly, tax reform, infrastructure, it's not sexy, right? That, those are not exciting things to talk about. And, and one of the things I think we have to think about together, all of us, is how can we move past that? And sorry, Trent, i have like completely stopped all over <laughs> Jeff in your next uh-huh. question. <laughs> um, but I think that, it, you know, right here, I just wanted to point out that we're making a lovely example of like what political discourse should be, which is like, your small government, you're big government, you know, I'm for like, how are we going to help people? <laughs> and, and I can get around a lot of ways to do that. Um, but that's not, that's not the conversation that's happening in our state or in our country. Um, we're, we're divided over things that I think really should be not the the, the top things of, of interest to, to government. Um, well,
2: and I, I would just jump in and say, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know. I know we don't we don't need to go deep into the to the rabbit hole of campaign finance, but you know, it's it's no mystery that for many years, I mean, if you look at the legislative agenda, the bills that are put out there, they are bills that are generated from organizations like Alec as well as other um, special interest organizations, and it's true for the left as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, I think that's a huge uh, part of it that it's, it's driven by. We've got to, I mean, you know, we could have long conversations about bills like, look, I, I worked in the victims advocacy community. Uh, we could have a long conversation about Marcy's law, right? And where did that come from and why did that dominate um, the space? Um, hint, it wasn't driven solely by a passion for victims' issues, right? It was powerful financial backing that said, you support and push this and make this priority and X, Y, and Z checks will be written. And I think that is, especially now with you know our short sessions that they, these types of bills, they dominate. So the good bills, there's no time for that. There's no space for that.
3: No, but I think also it plays into uh, the way that voters participate. And I can tell you, you know, when you look at poll numbers and you look at what moves voters, you know, I hate to say good government bills don't move voters. Right. You know, red meat bills move. So, you, you know, I think you, you have people, you, you go in and try to make a mix of of bills that are red meat and then what are the good government bills you can, you can also pass. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you're not in the room, then you can't make, you can't affect any change. You have to get reelected to be in the room. So, you know, you, you got to figure out what can you do to, to, to move voters, keep them on your side. And and that allows you to, to do good work because you're, you're still there, still in the room, still have a, 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 a seat at the table.
2: But I just want to say one more thing uh, to, and then <laughs> try, try we won't. But this sure. actually goes back to the second question you actually asked the group. Um, I think the other common theme here is a theme of leadership, right? And I, I think at the national level and at the state level, one thing that is just a mirror image, and it's a problem on both sides um, to, you know, different varying degrees, maybe, but there's no leadership anymore. And, and yeah, I get it. They've got to an answer to constituents. But if you look, you know, going back to the talk about the Senate impeachment and the Republicans. You know, it's a total lack of leadership for for these Senate um, Republicans. They went home, you know, they did this and said, "Oh, I can't touch that." You know, it's it's a complete under lack of understanding of how to be a leader, and it's just it's it's too much about I gotta I gotta save my own skin and stay in the game. Um, and we see it on both sides. And you know, I I am gonna get a lot of flack for saying this. Uh, I'm still in a an empowered, far away, undisclosed location. But, you know, when I saw Andy Beshear coming out today, like talking, you know, harsh condemnation of domestic terrorists, I thought, my first thought was where were Kentucky sort of center road Democrats on this issue a year ago or two years ago, right? We didn't hear those strong statements then. We hear it now because it's safe. For Democrats to say those things. And so it's a problem on both sides. and um, And it's a problem nationally as well as at the statewide level. I mean, you know, there used to be a time, and I hate that I always find myself like praising David Williams. I really, <laughs> really hate this. But there was a time when he wasn't afraid to stand up and say, you know, education reform, it wasn't sexy. And it wasn't necessarily in line with, you know, drown the baby in the bathtub, but it was the right thing to do. And he wasn't afraid to stand up and, and take a leadership role in that. And there is none of that out there today.
3: I'll say this, though, not, not to sound too much like a like a political science professor, but, you know, that it's it's a broader discussion. I think one of the issues is voters have shifted to where they want someone who's going to be basically a direct representative of them. They're voting for someone to go up and vote 100% with them 100% of the time whereas used to you were voting for people who you generally agreed with thought were thought would be a good person to send to Washington and basically said or, or Frankfurt and basically said, you know, we're we're entrusting you to collect the information and, and make a make a judgment call as, as to as to what's best You and know, when we start punishing people for very specific very and sometimes very granular votes uh we turn into a de- direct democracy and you know you hate to say it, direct democracy doesn't work it's not a functional form of government it, it you know any more than than a socialist utopia is, is a functional functional form of government it's you know we're we're a representative republic for a reason not a direct not a direct democracy
0: we could, we could. This is a great conversation. We could call for a long time, on that. and uh, we have, we have lots of questions rolling in. I'm not going to be able to get to them all, but one I think is, is a fair question to ask. And I assume this is a, a question for Trey, but we can all, we can all
3: chime in. I'm, a, I'm assuming most of the questions will be for me, but
0: <laughs> hey, this is a. a um, if it was if it were on my personal page, I'm sure most would be. But this is a <laughs> this is a non political podcast on a separate page, so it's it's a bunch of it, just everybody. But the question is about it, about physical responsibility. So if Republican if the Republican Party is known and Kentucky is known for being physically conservative, how does the party justify pushing things like vouchers that would start out costing 25 million and like 8 million a year over the next 20 years?
3: Well, I think you've got to balance. First of all, I'll, I'll say voucher. I, I'm I'm kind of personally split on vouchers. And actually, we're we're having uh, Gary Houchins on the podcast tomorrow to talk about uh, National School Choice Week. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of split on vouchers. I, 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 full disclosure: I went to a uh, I went to public school through through seventh grade and went to private school after that. My sister went to private school uh, second grade on I think. Um, so, you know, I, I've been on both sides of the fence. I have my, my kids are public school kids in Fayette County. Um, but you know, there are some areas, especially getting places like Louisville, uh, Lexington, I think is, is a little bit different. I think we have a great, uh, educationally, we have a great, uh, public school system here. We could talk about leadership wise, especially during the COVID era. That's a whole nother conversation. My dis- pleasure with the board here <laughs> on that one but uh you know as far as the education you get in the fake kind public schools i think is great if i was in louisville 100 percent not my kids wouldn't set wouldn't step ever step foot inside of, uh, of a public school they have screwed up between the way they move people around with the button it's just, no I, and i wouldn't send my kid anywhere up there and it frustrates me that my tax dollars weren't were you know weren't weren't going to an education that i would have faith to, to put, have my kids in and there's other areas of the state that you can get a better better education going the private route i think that the point of educational tax dollars is to educate kids it's not to it's not to fund public schools it's to educate kids and you got to figure out what's the balance between doing that and you know if if there is such a big push for for vouchers here's the one thing i never hear from from public school systems is there's this huge push for vouchers why do people want out of my school system yeah, I think that's that's the question that 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 public school advocates need to ask themselves. Rather rather than pushing so hard and just saying no vouchers ever, no vouchers, need to ask, well, why do these people so desperately want vouchers? Why do they want out of, out of our school system so bad? And you know, I think there's there's somewhere in the middle you can come down to where you provide people an option, but you 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 keep providing the necessary funds to public schools. Uh, you know, I, I I I believe people should have should have choice, and when it's your tax dollars going to fund it. You know, I think you should have a say in where that money goes.
0: I think the, I understand your point. I think the, I think the probably the point of the question was to point out that it, at least in some circles of Kentucky re, in the Republican Party, there's a, a perhaps a bit of hypocrisy when it comes to, um, you know, picking and choosing where you want to spend money and all that. When you claim to be physically concerned, not you personally, but when certain Republicans co- claim to be physically educate
3: education is the place we need to spend money. There's a lot of other places we can eliminate spending. Education is a place that we need to we need to spend more, especially K through 12, and especially early education. Because if you lose these kids by about the fourth grade, they're lost. You know, we, we should be funding full day kindergarten. I think we should be funding full day preschool. Yeah. And but there's so many other places that we just piss money away. <laughs> That's what we need to fix because, you know, the you can only raise taxes so far, you can only reform taxes so far. But there there's so many other random places we spend money that. Are they it's it's one of those questions is, will we like to spend it and do we have to spend it? I think we have to spend it on early childhood education. There's a lot of other places that we'd like to spend it. Well, let's get early childhood fixed first and then we can come back and look at look at the places we'd like to spend it.
0: Okay, fair enough. So there's a question here for for Stephanie or, or, or for Julie. And that is how. What's the deal? I'm just paraphrasing. What's the deal with Democratic messaging? How how can Democrats get better? Because Democrats have let Republicans define Democrats in Kentucky, especially.
2: I love this question. Um, I'm scared of the question format here. I've never been on a podcast where we do this. This is kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, I told you to uh, so- back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So a big fan of a book, uh, a guy named George Lakoff wrote it um, several, several years ago called Don't Think of an Elephant. Everybody's pictured an elephant in their mind. Right. So um, this has been a problem. It's it's more of sort of a defensive versus um, an offensive problem, in my view. Right. We tend to allow Republicans to make the message and the narrative and then we just chase after it. So things like pro-life, pro-choice, think about that, right? Who, who would it be pro-life, right? This is not about, you know? Uh, tax relief is another great one. Um, a lot of this all um, Frank Luntz, a big Republican um, political operative messenger kind of guy. And so for years and years, uh, one of the one of the worst, a couple of the worst ones that have really been a big issue in Kentucky, right to work. Right. Um, Journalists fall into this trap of referring to those bills as right to work. And I'm like, why is this acceptable? Right. This is total messaging. it, it's ins- it's it's long been insane to me and Democrats do it too, right? Like how can I go and fight as a as a, as a liberal you know policy and comms person over here when you know Rocky Atkins was calling the bills you know uh, right to work and Greg Stumbo was like stop saying that you know or they thought, okay, maybe we'll get cute and call it you know right to whatever they said. but you're still evoking the the, the imagery, right? And so um, and I and I chase back and I hate to knock um, Amy McGrath because, you know, she she puts skin in the game. Right. And, and there's a lot about that. But I disagreed with her in a lot of ways. But when uh, uh, she rolled out and I, I think this was in her Andy Barr race when she had that big ad where she was literally playing defense on a soccer field and she was defensively responding to attacks. I'm like that right there. There it is right? We're letting them set the narrative, the message, the key words, the phrases, and we're just chasing after it. So I don't think it's so much that the messaging that we put out there to talk about our issues is bad. I mean, we talk about wanting a living wage. We talk about wanting, you know, healthcare for all. But, you know, George Lakoff followed up his book um, after Obamacare came out and talked about you know, the epic failure of Obamacare was in the messaging, right? Instead of messaging it as a fundamental right, like we can't succeed in a workplace, a job, a classroom, if we are in poor health and our health needs are not met. They tried to craft it in these Republican terms of marketplace, right? And, and so we lost that messaging game. So I think it's an issue of not how we define the issues that are important to us, but how we kind of lead, let the conservatives set the narrative, the talking points, the, the, those key phrases, right? And they just become the norm. And that's our biggest problem.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a, a decent segue into the next question. Then I'll, I'll turn it back over to, to Julie to ask our own questions, but there are lots of good questions rolling in that I won't have time to get to half of them, but uh, Here's a good question. I think that's a, that's, a, this is a good panel to talk about it. There's a major misbalance of power between urban and rural, you know, uh, it's it's obviously not monolithic, but generally speaking in Kentucky, you know, you have a lot of red areas in the rural areas and urban areas are bluer and that's the way it is in a lot of places but here you know, should we be doing anything about that? Should we just say, okay, well, that's the way it is and leave it like that? Or should uh, Republicans be reaching out, Democrats be reaching out to uh, areas uh, regardless of what, uh, what kind of people live there?
2: Well, uh, I mean, I guess I'll jump in. You know, yeah, I think, you know, what we've seen is when Democrats uh, focus on shoring up their own Um, what should be their base in those urban areas to drive turnout of people who may have just been sort of disengaged. And uh, I think, yeah, it's not this. It's an interesting issue in Kentucky, right? It's not just a matter of Republicans trying to appeal to urban voters, which they have been doing. And they're very good at doing everything from. Guys like Rand Paul jumping into criminal justice reform issues. Um, Donald Trump, right, bragging about you know all of his black support. I mean that was strategic, um, but it's it's not so much that Democrats need to do more to appeal to rural voters. It's that we haven't even appealed enough to what should be our own voters. <laughs> Maybe because we've been trying so hard to appeal to those rural voters that we've left the urban voters behind. And I'm not sitting here suggesting uh, that we can become the next Georgia uh, because the numbers just don't work. But I think we did see in Andy Bashir's election that when we actually, and I think we saw it in Jack Conway's race, when we ignore um, the urban areas, we will definitely lose. And when we pay attention to them, we still might lose, but but
3: maybe not. Well, I mean, Andy Beshear's path is only repeatable if you have a complete a hole that no one likes running against <laughs> you. So <laughs> let's—I mean, let's let's be honest as to what happened in that election. That had nothing to do with the, the Democrat appeal. It had to do with Matt Bevin anti appeal. Well, I, you know, I—I I mean, that's certainly a part of it. But that—but that also plays back into you know uh, th- that we tend to be, uh, you know in that case, it was, I just don't like that guy. So I'm voting against him. You know, it, 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 it it's less about policy and more about politics and personality.
0: Let me share my screen. And, and Julie, you can jump in since you haven't said anything in a while. And I, I, want, I want you to take a look at this chart that I put together. I, I went to the Secretary of State's website and the Board of Elections, and I, you know, gathered up all these data going back to 1980. And this is Democrat. Can you see my screen? Mm hmm. Okay, this is Democrat registration over time versus Republican registration. And In 1982, it was 68% Republican to 20 something. I mean, uh, 68% Democrat to 20 something Republican, and uh, that's decreased pretty steadily over time to the point that uh, when I when I put this chart together, there was only a difference of maybe you know three percentage points or something like that. That Democrats had an advantage. Over Republicans in the state of Kentucky, so uh, so you know why is that happening, and where do you think this will bottom out? We'll start with Julie, but it, you know everybody else can can jump in as well.
1: Um, you know, I think it it speaks to a little bit of what Stephanie was just saying uh, about the the messaging. Um, you know, from my perspective, I so I grew up in in Republican circles here in Kentucky. My parents uh, were were registered as Republicans. Most of the people I knew were as a when I was a kid. And um, you know, I think it, it ties a lot into the national politics like we've already talked about and, and the, the trends that have happened that way um, and particularly those conservative circles that, that a lot of us are from in Kentucky. Um, but you know, I think from the de- Democrats' point, point of view, um, what I see is that um, we don't have a clear enough message and I think that's just straight up true. Um, and I think that the, the path forward that I see is one of, of integrity of, of what we value and speaking to the things that are really very commonplace to any Kentuckian, um, I think that when we identify too strongly with national trends, um, we lose what it means to be a Kentuckian. And um, regardless of whether you know you're from Jessman County, which is where I grew up, which is just south here of Lexington, or whether now I live in Lexington, um, you know. But that speaks of, you know, that urban rural divide is very tight around Lexington, right? It's a 20 minute drive um, here. And then it gets even deeper the further you go um, um, outside of Lexington or Louisville. but I think that we need to focus on the things that are, are good for all Kentuckians. Um, Trey, I loved hearing you say, you know, we should be putting money into education. I would love to hear all Republicans say that um, because that's not what all of them are saying and I would love it for them to be doing that and us to be focusing on those common issues. We all need education, we all need healthcare, we all need access to good jobs. Um, and those are key issues that I think we ought to be able to agree around, and um, and I think that we need to focus on those and, and focus on the core of those. And I think that what you see in those trends um, is that the Democratic Party in Kentucky, from my perspective, having not grown up in it, um, is that there's been a loss of identity of what it meant to be a Democrat in Kentucky. Um, and I think that that we we float in that soup now of of questioning, you know, what do we mean? What do I mean to be a, a Democrat? And you know, my move left happened a lot while I was in California on the west coast and there's a lot of reasons for why that happened but you know I came back here and I had a huge crisis of, of, of identity of like what does it mean now for me to not be a conservative when I'm living in the place that I grew up in where everybody I knew was conservative um, and I think there's there's other people who face that so I think from my perspective you know I don't know all of the trends or the data behind it but that's what I see happening inside of it as someone who is a Kentuckian.
0: Just a uh, just a. Time warning. I, I promised you guys forty five minutes, and we're at forty five minutes. So we'll uh, we'll just kind of start wrapping this up. But feel free to chime in here. And I do have one more comment at the end.
3: Yeah, you know, on that one, I just, it's it's again, national politics is dominating everything, and it's it's hard for a Kentucky Democrat to express those views every day. That AOC goes out and says something crazy, it erodes away uh, any any sort of little bit of work that you that you did and progress you made with somebody from you know pikeville or from from trig county or something like that every time somebody from california or or new york or, or wherever says something crazy liberal it's it, it, it's assigned to the democratic party whether whether you like it or not a lot of that is outside the bounds of the control of the of the kentucky democratic party so they're fighting an uphill battle against their own party in a lot of ways um and, I think that's
2: true sorry yeah. go ahead
3: you're no sure. and, 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 you know and to your numbers you're only going to see that as they continue to move along in the cleanup voter roll cleanup process you know the majority of the voters who are being cleaned off the voter rolls uh, are are Democrats they're you know elderly Democrats who died people who, who left the state to move to, to blue states you know the, the majority of the people that get cleaned off the voter rolls are are Democrats so both because of registration and because of the cleanup cleanup process I think by the end of the year you'll, you'll see a total party flip. And you know. before before we move on, let me, let me just give a reason why that's important beyond all demographics of elections. Remember, a lot of the, board, the boards and commissions in the state have a political party requirement on them. So uh, if you recall, you, you could be like Steve Bashir and just ignore that. He had a University of Louisville board that was like 17 Democrats and one Republican. Um, but a lot of the boards and commissions have a, a requirement to accurately represent the, the Democrat, demographics of the state. And some of them include political affiliation in that demographic. So uh, as the voter registration numbers flip, you're going to see Republicans get majorities in control over a whole lot more of those boards and commissions, which you know, that's where a lot of the nuts and bolts, the re- legislation may pass a law, but the, the regs are getting written at that level. And the actual execution of laws is, is being done at that level. So that's that's got a lasting impact on the state as those as those uh, registration trends change.
0: Stephanie, did you have a comment?
2: The only thing I was going to add to it was, you know, it's national, but it's not just po- national politics. It's it it's become cultural, right? So much of it was, you know, these. Uh, I, and i'm from i am from appalachia not appalachian kentucky but appalachian pennsylvania so i um I grow miss when people say oh you're this you know liberal you know urbanite like yeah, yeah no idea i the bubble i swim in um but it's 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 so much of its cultural right it, it became the guns and uh, those sorts of things and you know democrats here tried to kind of go along with that like every democrat doesn't run for office unless they've got a campaign ad with a gun in their hand right but but and it's such at odds with the national democrats messaging and And
3: coal coal is is a huge part of the change in in party registration in this state because you had people that were cultural democrats who Uh, are cultural republicans but registered democrats i always said because because grandma granddaddy was was a democrat and granddaddy was democrat because roosevelt was a democrat but they they finally the final straw changing their their affiliation was was uh was 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 cole
0: yeah i'm from leslie as we were talking earlier i'm from leslie county the reddest county in the state 2016 2020 uh, according to the numbers I saw, anyway, and uh, yeah, that's true. A lot of a lot of people did from those areas, and they certainly don't like to be talked down to from,
3: you know, urbanites. They they, they were tr- they were trending away from the Democratic Party, but coal is, is what was the final straw.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's there's one last thing I wanted to bring up and and give you guys maybe if you want to you don't certainly don't have to thirty seconds or something to talk about. We didn't get get around to all these state impeachment threats and all that other stuff. So if anybody wants to. Uh, You know, there's several of them, not just one, you know, there are three or four. So uh, if anybody wants to quickly chime in about that, feel free to.
3: I mean, they're all, none of them are going to pass. There's, and and I do think that what's happening is there's a, there's a different, because, you know, Greg Stumbo's been out there beating the drum. Well, this, uh, you know, we didn't do it this well. I think different lawyers read the constitutional law in different ways. This is the way that they've determined that they feel like the Constitution requires them to do it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's creating chaos, certainly, but if, if they feel like that's what the law requires of them, then fine, I think you'll see probably a movement to change that part of the that part of the law. Uh, none of them's going to pass. I, I have told several members, you know, be prepared. I wouldn't be shocked if every one of you guys gets uh, gets impeachment uh, paperwork filed against you. You know, so just be ready for like 100, 138, 150 impeachment procedures to, to take place. Uh, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. Andy Beshear, I don't, I don't agree with anything he's done, but he's done nothing impeachable. Daniel Cameron's done nothing impeachable. Robert, go forth. Ah, you're getting closer, but even then he hadn't been convicted in a court of law. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I wish people would back off this stupid procedure.
2: The only thing <laughs> I would throw into this, um, is more of a question and it is, it's a serious question that I'm, I'm really deeply curious about and whether um, uh, GOP leadership um, foresaw the Pandora's box that they were opening. When they pursued this or allowed this to continue uh, to go forward against Andy Bashir I'm, I'm deeply curious. I don't know that Trey has an answer to that, but that is a burning question I have.
3: I think the more interesting thing is when they when they pass the rules the rule that they put into place where if it doesn't go to the body for a, for a full impeachment vote, that the people who filed the impeachment paperwork have to reimburse the time and legal expenses of the person they tried to impeach. It, you know, I, I think once the Bashir one, which will I, I guess will probably be the first one to go through the process, once that one's done and these guys get hit with like $50,000 in legal bills, I, I would bet that you see a decrease in the number of impeachment proceedings that are filed. I, I said on I said on a podcast I said I hope Andy Bashir goes out and hires the most expensive lawyer you know Rudy Giuliani was charging 20, 20, 20k twenty k a a day to Trump go out and get Rudy go out and get Rudy <laughs> I think guys he's tied to, up right now maybe guys have to pay <laughs> yeah. have to pay twenty k a day <laughs> that's a good point
0: yeah um Rudy, Rudy if I had time I'd pull up a picture of Rudy Giuliani but I'm with the sweat everything, but I'm not going to <laughs> um, Listen, I really, I really appreciate you guys being on here. I really enjoyed this. Uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Maybe we can, you know, jump on here quarterly or you know, sure. just, just uh, yeah. monthly or something like that'd be really fun. Uh, there are always things going on in the great state of Kentucky, so uh, plenty, plenty to talk about. And uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast, you guys, uh, you have your own politi- podcast called uh, Kentucky Politics Weekly. And uh, when does that come out? The Weekly at what
3: day? Usually it usually comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we try to get it up sometime around lunchtime, uh, just whenever Stephanie and I and whatever guests we have can get our act together to get together, record it, and get it up. Sometimes sometimes we have scheduling issues. Like yesterday, Stephanie had something. So, well, we, we didn't put one up yesterday. But we, we try to get two a week, uh, try to have them up by you know, two or three in the afternoon. So,
0: Yeah, and you you guys cover a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, you do a good job of covering things from the Republican side and Democratic side, and I enjoy listening to it. So, thank you all very much. Thanks, everyone out there listening who listen live and who will be listening on the podcast. We'll be back next week, and we appreciate your time. We'll see you then. <music>